Welcome to Stoveside Chat. The chef is ready for your kitchen tour. Please come this way. So uh, let's start off uh, with you telling us about, about yourself and uh, your background. Um, so I started, I'm from originally from Oklahoma and I uh, just grew up in the country, really loved to cook, really loved to can. I uh, went to culinary school up in New York um, and then I basically moved to Charleston just to work with Sean and then I moved to Nashville and I've been the executive chef now for about two and a half years, almost three years. Nice, nice. And uh, is there any particular reason that you got it into cooking and food when you, when you were young or just, just something that happened? Uh, yes. Uh, no, I was a ballet dancer for a really long time. And I just constantly was in like my ballet classes and just like dreaming about food and like what I was going to eat whenever I was done. And I was just like, and I would lose track of the place I was at just because I was thinking about it. And anyways, I just started cooking out of this Betty Crocker cookbook and I was obsessed with it. Uh, my grandma was an amazing cook. And so it just kind of went with it. And ballet to cooking is such an easy transfer, you know, just a you know, recipe knowledge and, you know, variations that you learn. Um, so it was a good discipline for me to just kind of transfer over into culinary. So that's interesting. How do you think the ballet sort of helps you cook in general? Um, so from very young, I started dancing whenever I was like three or four and started training it. Uh, they really drive into you about, you know, discipline and memorization, um, you know, and kind of the enjoyment of like long hours and of prep for like moments of enjoyment. And so it just always really transfers over to me of like all this hard work that I put in ahead of time and then to watch someone else enjoy everything that you work so hard for. It just, it's such a similar, uh, feeling from ballet to culinary. Very cool. Yeah. I, I could imagine performing in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people just dancing. That's just sounds like amazing to me. Oh yeah. It was so much fun. Well, it's great. Cause most of the time you can't see anybody. And so it's kind of, you kind of feel like you're out there on your own. It's, it's truly wonderful. Nice. So you mentioned uh, you know, you pretty much, uh, you know, looking at your background. Um, I think most chefs nowadays don't really stay at one place, one restaurant for a very long time. You know, they sort of start at different places or, you know, train different places. Uh, you did a pretty different thing, obviously. You know, you started a line cook at Husk, Nashville, well, 2011, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you sort of grew your career to become now, you know, a couple of years in executive chef. So uh, why did you choose this path? Um, so I did stage. I stodged a bunch whenever I was in culinary school. And I worked in a few kitchens prior to that. And, uh, you know, I had my internship. And I kept asking myself why that was the path that people keep choosing. And of course, the first one that you think about is like, oh, well, you know, they want to gain more experience. Um, and that's true. And, and, you know, the most regard. But if you think about it, a lot of the times when they leave, it's not sustainable. The, the environment, um, the work culture, uh, you know, their chef is not sustainable because we are still trying to move past you know, that negative environment 
um, in this industry. And we just have started, you know, I would say about six to seven years ago, um, really like, you know, taking a good look at to why people don't sustain in kitchens. Um, and the reason why I stayed is because I never stopped learning. I kept pushing. So uh, whenever I got, you know, uh, just mundane and being a line cook, I'd say, I want to learn how to do butcher. And so I would come in on my off days. I'm like, show me what you can do. You don't have to pay me anything. Just show me how to break something down. Show me how to make cheese. Show me how to can. Like, if you keep finding all these different variations until you find something that you're really passionate about, and that's what Husk is, is we are a learning environment, um, anywhere from the garden to butchering, to charcuterie, to fermentation. Um, we have the ability to touch on all of these subjects and we have um, the equipment and the know-how to do it. I mean, how could you get bored at a restaurant? <laughs> so that's a long-winded explanation. <laughs> no, it's great. It's, uh, it's always good to understand the, the thinking behind you know, decisions of chefs and how they go about making choices, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in that sense, you know, you're talking about how the industry has changed from, you know, I guess when you first joined even. Um, can you talk about a little bit uh, how do you think in, in, in your perspective, how did things improve, uh, you know, maybe sustainability-wise, maybe career-wise, or if there's things that you still think that, hey, you know, we can still improve? Um, so I think that there was that, um, to begin with, there was that old school mindset of this is how I was treated. So this is how I'm going to treat this other person. And so those uh, actions and emotions just keep getting passed on to one person after the other. And I think that we had to get to a point where, like me, every time that would happen, I would say, I'm never going to do that to someone else. And I'm not going to pass that along. And it took a lot of, uh, you know, people calling you out and saying, hey, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be saying that you shouldn't be doing that. And then you yourself being a part of the uh, resolution of saying, okay, I shouldn't be treated that way. So why would I want to treat someone else that way? And I think that that was the first stepping stone. And we all kind of started coming together whenever we, um, you know, chefs like that started being pushed out and younger chefs like me are being put into those places where we understand what we're worth. We're not going to be taken advantage of. And I think it was like the younger generation saying that's a really old school mindset. Let's make a different environment for the chefs here. Um, I think that was number one. Number two is taking a look at, you know, what line cooks actually make. Uh, you know, especially first getting out of culinary school, you don't make any money whatsoever. And as you grow and as you develop, you should be gaining more and uh, not only with your experience, but with your pay and, you know, what is it that they're worth after a certain amount of years? Um, and I think a lot of the time that just got overlooked in that old mindset as well. So, uh, and definitely the hours, hours, you know, after 55 hours, you're not worth anything. You know, you have to really understand that you can't grind people into the ground and, you know, I worked down in the Florida Keys and I worked 109 hours a week. Wow. And, <laughs> and I did that for my entire internship. And that was not a good experience. And in that moment, I had to understand that that wasn't how I was going to be treated ever again. So it's just like the younger generation coming up and going, no, I don't think we're going to be doing that anymore. 
um, and taking a stand for it. That sounds insane. Like a hundred and ten hours. Like I can't even imagine how that goes. Yeah, it didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, talking more about uh, you know current times, I guess uh, the menu at Husk uh, naturally was very dynamic. Obviously, um, what I've read is you guys spend a lot of time planning menus, thinking mm -hmm. about new dishes, and experimenting, you know, with new ideas. Um, what sort of challenges and advantages do you get from this? approach um the challenges is sometimes kind of like whenever you're writing an essay you just keep looking at it over and over and over again and it doesn't really uh come to get it comes together in your mind but it might not come together on the plate and so the advantage is that in my kitchen i like the opinions of everybody I, and, you know, everybody has something to say about it, you know, whether they like it, whether they don't like it as simple as that, or I think it needs more salt, needs more acid, needs another component. And so, and you don't have to take everybody's advice, but, you know, or not advice, but opinion. Uh, but you can kind of start your thought process in a different direction whenever it comes to making dishes. Um, and it helps you to kind of look past you know, your own ego and going like, oh, this is my food. This is my dish. Because one other person's opinion could make or break that dish as far as like, wow, I had no, I, I didn't even think about that. Just like a fresh perspective. I feel like that's my advantage of that long process. But you have to understand chefs wake up or at least I wake up and I just start thinking about like vegetables and like dishes and like during the pandemic I bought like ramps off of Etsy like I was like on the web I was like I need some produce and I need it now we're skipping like the best season spring and so you wake up and you start thinking about dishes so it may take days to come up with something but at the end of it it's like it's such an exciting experience and you always like watch the first plate go out and you like you start watching people's mannerisms like when they take that first bite and they either do like the nod or they're like and you can kind of watch what they're doing and and it gives you such great pleasure so all once again just like the ballet concept like all that preparation for moments of enjoyment is just like so worth it yeah you can tell just from talking to you you're really into the whole not just the cooking itself but the actual feedback from different people and how they think and um what they what they you know feel when they eat your food basically oh i love it i mean there's nothing better than to watch a table you know just collectively eat together and then there's like that moment of silence whenever they first start eating there's they don't say anything and they just kind of just, or they'll like point it's great <laughs> that's awesome um so you know i this is the questions that i kind of have personally um there are a lot of uh, variations and, and definitions of southern food what does that mean so, you know, I am not very educated. You can probably say I'm totally uneducated in terms of what that is. So, you know, what is Southern food to you? Um, Southern food. Well, uh, I feel like anything deep fried is almost Southern. But uh, I would say Southern food is um, a process, like foods that take a process like braising collard greens for one, or, you know, frying chicken, frying chicken should really be, it's truly an art form the way that you fry chicken. And it really takes time and patience to get how, it just right. How do you uh, describe to us? What do you mean by that? 
I mean, whenever you fry chicken, you can't just like dredge it in flour and then drop it in some hot oil or in the fryer. I mean, that's not that's not the way to do chicken justice. You know, you have to take the time to brine it. You have to let it. The seasoning has to be just right. And the flour, the amount of time the flour is on the chicken is the most important. Um, And the temperature, what kind of fat you're frying it in. So whenever I think about Southern food, I think about really like love, like and long processed food, you know, things that take a long time that you, you know, your grandma's cooking on the stove for three hours and the whole house smells of everything that she's making. That's what I think of when I think about Southern food. Okay. So a lot of hard work really goes into Southern food that tastes good. Absolutely. We like to be on the front porch sipping tea while something's cooking. <laughs> That's the one thing that I really, you know, are, am envious about, you know, the South in general, just the weather and, and the, the people that are sort of a, a lifestyle is a little slower as opposed to, you know, up North, even in Canada here, people, obviously, weather-wise, it's not possible to stay outside in wintertime. I, know, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough for sure. Um, so, you know, talk, still continuing with that uh, question. So, you know, you're very committed to using Southern ingredients. Um, mm-hmm. You have a mantra that if it doesn't come to the South, it uh, doesn't come to the door. Um, yeah. So, you know, is there anything that you would love to cook, um, but you have to change or you have to, you know, say, you know, that's something that we can't do. Or on the flip side, is there anything that, hey, you know, this is very, very, you know, just you could only find this stuff in, in the South? Um. You know, I miss avocados sometimes, but I think that otherwise we have everything that you could possibly imagine. I mean, I get my soy sauce from Kentucky. Um, I get my maple syrup from Kentucky. It's bourbon barrel aged. Um, You know, we have bene seeds, which uh, are phenomenal. And, you know, just because it comes from the South, that is our rule is it has to come from the South but I can make whatever I want to make with this. So for instance, we have a uh, wonderful company called Proper Saki that's just down the road. So I get all my koji from them. And so I start all my fermentations here with their koji. And so we can put different misos on, um, you know, we have a li- like limitless amount of possibilities to do with Southern food. It doesn't necessarily have to be traditional Southern um but it i mean you can do anything with southern ingredients i don't think i really miss anything that i i don't traditionally cook and what's really amazing is that the farmers around us if there's something that i truly miss and i'll kind of talk to them about is there any way that we could maybe try and grow this and then they'll tell me why we're not able to grow it here in the south um for instance, I really love artichokes and I had one farmer grow artichokes and he only got 10 artichokes, Oh wow! which, yeah, which, you know, but he had to babysit them. He had to nurture them. He had to cover them constantly and they're extremely hard to grow. And he came to me and he said, this is what I've got. And I was like, this is amazing. I haven't seen artichokes in years. And he goes, but I'll tell you why they're really hard to grow here. And it makes you understand what's possible for the menu. And what, and what's possible for the farmer to grow. So just because I love artichokes, what he went through to get those 10 artichokes, it's not worth it to him. And it's not worth it to me either. Um, and, but I'm going to make sure I make a big deal out of the 10 artichokes that I did get. 
do you get them like yearly now or is it just you know one-off thing uh just every every so often i mean they they ask me what i want them to grow every year and then i'll go out to the farms and we'll see what's you know what's possible for that year and how much we're going to be buying and and so they kind of plan around i have a, a very hard weakness for peppers like pretty much any type of pepper especially spicy peppers and so they know if they grow them i will buy them <laughs> so they're kind of my weakness they plan a lot a lot around that nice nice so uh you know obviously you mentioned that you uh went to a culinary school in new york mm -hmm. um do you have any particular ways of maybe mixing different cuisines um you know maybe like a west coast thing or, or a northern thing or even like european or whatever the case may be or an asian thing how do you marry that with uh southern cooking if you do oh it's super simple so i i really love asian food like all asian food and i that's a lot of what my menu is about sometimes um and what's really interesting is that nashville is on the same latitude as tokyo so a lot of the oh. similar things grow here so for instance uh like the bene seeds i was talking to you about and also um we have bamboo that grows here and we have bananas oddly enough um so it's pretty and yeah nobody else, nobody else has them but um so yeah i really love to mix in different cultures with what we're doing but you know still keeping to the root of the southern ingredients uh and the southern plates that you traditionally think of um you know, doing a spin in, in a different way. Like I said, I, I generally always do something with miso. Um, so I typically always kind of go towards the Asian side. <laughs> very nice, very nice. And this is more out of curiosity. What is the uh, food scene in general like, uh, you know, down there basically overall? Uh, oh, I mean, it's growing every day. And you can get just about anything here. Um, but yeah, I mean, we... Every single day we're growing. I will say that after the pandemic, a lot of places did close down, um, which is really unfortunate. But, you know, other people have gone in. A lot of a few of my friends have gone in and bought those kitchens and they are now expanding their businesses. So, you know, we're hoping to still see brighter days ahead, you know, with those restaurants. Nice. Yeah, it seems like everyone that I've talked to since the pandemic, uh, you know, one way or another has been impacted by by COVID, right? So uh, it's really difficult, but hopefully there are things that, you know, I think sort of the positive is that even with some of the places that might be closed down, that might represent opportunities for people that weren't in the in this industry or, you know, in different roles in the industry. Sort of, yeah. They say, I'm interested in doing this and maybe I can try it right now. Yeah, absolutely. Now's the time to to get your foot started for sure. Yeah. So uh, you also run the preservation program at Husk, which, you know, canning, like you said, is the, the main thing there. Um, yeah. What drew you into this tradition and uh, anything that you know, you know, cool facts about the, the practice? Um, so like I said, I grew up kind of canning, you know, with my, grand, my grandma. And then uh, it's kind of like my secret weapon that nobody does anymore. It's such a dying art. And whenever you go to menus, especially during the winter time around town or pretty much, you know, anywhere, they, no one's canning anymore. 
they don't, they, they, you know, they'll do a quick pickle and they'll back bag it and, you know, they'll have it for a month or two, but if you can it and you have a place like a larder that you can keep them stored, you can pull out whatever you want during the winter time. I have tomatoes constantly. I constantly have some type of pickled pepper, uh, pickled uh, celery from spring ramps, garlic scapes, green garlic. Um, there are so many different ways that you can utilize preservation in a future setting whenever you're only getting in pumpkin. And same with whenever you go into summertime and there's something that you really missed that you've had for a while. And so I'll pull out, uh, you know, pumpkin, you know, pureed pumpkin, and it'll be like just some something random that I've decided I want to do. I have the whole year in my larder from whatever season I want. And that's something that people don't understand what a great, you know, secret weapon that is to have for your menu. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've tried uh, doing some canning on my own, but it doesn't, I'm not good at it. Like my jams are always runny and yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of patience and a lot of preparation, but, uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And as far as like tips for canning um, or cool facts, let's see. Uh, you can pickle or can just about anything. We have this uh, Mennonite farmer's market that happens in Kentucky and they will can a uh, whole chicken over a wood burning fire, fire stove. No. Yeah. And How it'll is take, it done. <laughs> it takes them like two and a half hours to do, but they will can whole chicken. And these women, what they do in the first hour of their day is more than what I can do in a full day. It's almost ridiculous, but they will can whole chicken. And, and so anyways, if you're ever in Kentucky, you should check out their farmer's market. It's pretty incredible. Nice. Nice. That sounds like I like, so I'm just trying to imagine, like, is it in a big, like, what is it, it can't be glass container. Yeah. It's a glass container. Really? Yes. It's like a pressurized glass container. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. And it's perfectly normal to them to be doing this. Wow. That's crazy. I definitely, uh, if I, when, when things go back to normal, I'll definitely, uh, you know, go and check it out for sure. It sounds, sounds yeah, you gotta amazing. go see Kentucky. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. So, you know, from that, I guess, um, is there any particular thing that you learned, you know, I guess you've lived in natural for a long time now. Anything particular that you learned from local, obviously, you know, natural, I think people that are outside natural, I think the first thing they think of is barbecue. So what, what comes to mind for you is Nashville's tradition or in terms of food? Uh, definitely Nashville hot chicken. Have you had hot, chi hot chicken before? We have uh, restaurants that sell them. Yeah. But it's like anything else. Are they really like authentic or, you know, even anything close to that? I have no idea. Yeah. So the, the story is of Prince's hot chicken is that she originally would fry uh, regular chicken and for her husband. And one day she found out that she, uh, he was cheating on her. And so she spiced it all up and tried to hurt it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, now whenever you think, whenever I think about Nashville, I think about the, the hot chicken and our tomato festival that we have here is pretty phenomenal too. Um, but yeah, I think the, the Nashville hot chicken is probably our go-to. Nice. 
And then for you yourself, uh, what's your favorite thing to cook in general? And you know, what's the your favorite item from your restaurant? Uh, my favorite thing to cook. That's that's really hard to say because I like to cook pretty much everything. Um, hmm. I don't really think I have a favorite thing to cook because our menu changes so drastically at, at pretty much all measures. But uh, I like I said, I, I really love to fry chicken. <laughs> it's like <laughs> such it's such an easy thing to do, whether you're at home or whether you're here. It's just such a like a kind of nice, relaxing thing to do. And it really does kind of just like smell up your whole house and smells up the restaurant, too. So it kind of like lures people in. Um, but yeah, so, and then my favorite dish, well, we're fixing to put on pig ears, which I'm very excited about. It's such a time consuming thing. And since the pandemic, we, we made everything, you know, as, uh, you know, a little less prep heavy as what we normally would, because I'm, I am now the official butcher. (laughs) We don't have a butcher quite yet. So I'm still butchering a little bit and uh, I have a little bit more time now. So I'm devoting my time to doing a little bit longer projects. So we have uh, pig ears that I'm going to do in uh, Kentucky Yaki, which is a uh, Southern style teriyaki sauce, which is super good. And I have a bunch of house-made collard green kimchi I'm going to put on there. So. Sounds very, very uh, exciting for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess. Uh, so then with that, my question sort of would be what's, you know, obviously 2020 has been a very challenging year for everybody. A lot of things have changed or happened. Uh, what are your plans, you know, for, for yourself and also for Husk uh, coming up uh, this year, I guess. Um, I think that, you know, as hard as difficult opening, reopening this restaurant was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. Um, after uh, we got through our first part of the pandemic and, it really made um, you take a step back and look at what you're doing and how you're doing it in processes and in time. And I think that we're, you know, going to reevaluate the way that we look at our menu as far as um, a little, a little less on the line cooks, a little more prep heavy, uh, if that makes sense. So things that take a long time, you know, two or three days in advance, but once they get on the line, it'll only take them, you know, two or three minutes to kind of pick it up. Okay. Uh, processes like that kind of makes you think. Um, and I think just trying to have a better environment, a more sustainable environment, because once we, we all stopped for those three months, we were all like, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, the first week was great. And then afterwards, you know, we have to realize that, you know, 55 hours a week, that is where we're at. And anything more than that is not sustainable. Um, We have to focus on making sure your environment, you know, not only here, but also outside is, is, you know, beneficial to yourself as well as your creativity, you know, gardening, going to farms, understanding um, where everything comes from and the appreciation and everything that they went through, you know, especially during the pandemic, how they went from selling to restaurants to selling to farmers markets and kind of understanding where everyone's at at this moment is kind of um, my main goal to be more present for all these little details. Right. That makes sense. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the a lot of people that I talk to uh, again in the industry mentioned the uh, sort of the shift from sort of fine dining to more casual takeout, or you know, you you bring it home, you cook it, kind of thing. So that's sort of a pretty common theme that I I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all had to do what we needed to do to uh, make it work for those first few months, and I think that now. We just need to make sure that, you know, we're we're still doing fine dining, but we're doing it in such a, you know, an earlier stage ahead of time to where it's less less on our cooks during service. Right. Sort of make sure that everyone, to your point, lives a lifestyle that they could, you know, be healthy and not just, you know, slave at the at the uh, kitchen for hours and then like the hundred and hours that you had to you had yeah. to do back in the day. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess last question, uh, you know, outside of the kitchen, you're, you're, you're a huge Dolly Parton fan, I heard. Oh, I'm huge. You know, her ice cream is coming out today. And I am like, as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to be going to go get her ice cream. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan. She came in here one time and uh, I dressed up like a server and I didn't say one word to her. <laughs> But yes, I am. All right. And then, so is there anything, you know, in, in your life that uh, could be a little fun? Like, what, what are you into sort of like outside of the kitchen? What am I into outside of the kitchen? Um, yeah. I am very active. So I really love mountain biking and uh, racing my dirt bike, if that <laughs> doesn't oh, wow. sound too, too redneck. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of different hobbies, but I have a very active family, so I have to kind of keep up with them a little bit. <laughs> very nice. It's a good time to be active now that uh, you know a lot of I guess more tra- more traditional, but more uh, things that you know, you go to the mall, they're probably closed, or you don't want to go yeah. there even if they're open. I know, I know. I didn't want to go there even before the pandemic, but <laughs> yeah, I know. I love I'm love being outside for sure. Nice. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm hoping that the weather here gets warm enough. Actually, today is pretty good. Today is like probably like seventy something degree. And, and oh, good. Yeah, that's so not bad. Not terrible. Um, but yeah, hopefully it gets warmer than we enjoy the uh, our little bit of summer. For you guys, it's a it's a long summer there, right? So yeah, your two days of summer. <laughs> yeah. If that, if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks again, uh, Chef Cost, for being with us and sharing your uh, your you know. Um, philosophy and, and how you cook and how you work in the, in the restaurant and awesome. uh, you know, like I said hopefully when things go back to normal I'll, I'll have a trip to go down to Nashville and uh, see you guys and uh, you know chat and try your food out I'd love it I'd love it anytime right on cool awesome well thank you Carrie all right thank you and see you bye all right bye <laughs>